And the Bible tells us the things we need to know. And uh, it's, it, it's very important in a culture now in America where we get just a maelstrom of uh, ideas and pleas and, and propaganda and all kinds of things that can sweep people away uh, if they're not grounded in scripture. Welcome to the Gary Wilkinson Podcast. Glad you're here with us today. We have a, a wonderful guest with us today, Dr. Vern Poitras. Uh, Dr. Poitras is a professor of New Testament, of biblical uh, interpretation at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, his background in his own education is extremely wonderful. Just uh, uh, I envy the places that he has had the opportunity to uh, be schooled himself at Harvard University, uh, at the University of Cambridge, University of Stellenbosch in South Africa. Uh, he's a philosopher a theologian, a mathematician, which uh, I don't get to interview people with that diverse a background. I usually get to interview either pastors or theologians or evangelists, uh, but very rarely do we add the words uh, philosopher and mathematician. So thank you for being with us today. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, more about you and, and the work that you're called to. Thank you again. Well, thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. Um, so 45 years, or almost 45 years now, um, there at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, I did a little bit of math. I'm not a mathematician, you are, but my little skill in math, I did. Uh, I, 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 I saw you have about 600 and something students there. Uh, so I just lowered it to 500. And if, if you have been doing that for 40, 45 years, you have now, uh, trained and taught and sent out in ministry well over 20,000 pastors, evangelists, teachers, ministers. Uh, that, that must be, when you look back at that history with God and history and ministry, that must be very rewarding to you. Would you, do you get encouraged by that? Well, I am, but it, it has to be the work of God. <laughs> uh, there's many things that that a person really never knows about in this life, right? What, what influence um, people have had on your life or, or yours on theirs, uh, the story will only be told in glory, I think. Amen. That's well, going to be a good place to hear it. But, uh, you know, even on, the, even on, uh, on this side, uh, I'm sure you get, students that are now in the pastorate that are coming back to you and saying thank you or or even those that you that didn't it's not just those you trained at Westminster Seminary but you know those of us that have read your books and listened to you preach or seen you online you've been a great influence to a lot of people we're, we're very grateful to that um, speaking of that so 45 years of ministry um, and 45 years in in the seminary have you seen a cultural shift in Western culture. Um, so as you're training young leaders, you're sending them out into a, a foreign culture, so to speak. Uh, is it very different now than it was 45 years ago? And if so, in what ways would you say it's the differences you're seeing in culture? Yes. Well, when I started teaching, we were basically the, the elite culture of the West was modernist. It was enlightenment. It was about um, making your own rationality the ultimate source, which, of course, is idolatrous, right? Because it's God who is the source of all knowledge. And that was still strong. And uh, I don't think 
the word postmodernism existed. <laughs> if it did, it was just a very uh, narrow thing about uh, a style and architecture, that kind of thing. Uh, but in the prominence of God, he led me to studying uh, linguistics and uh, structuralism, uh, which were uh, movements that greatly influenced postmodernism. So I was able to start addressing those issues um, in class. Well, and but and I teach a class of in biblical interpretation principles of interpretation. Uh, so I had to say to people, look, uh, there are bad ways of interpreting and there are whole ideologies that are out there. And so from an early point, I began to address Marxism as one of the ideologies. Um, it, but uh, postmodernism uh, got to be more and more important. So I added a little section uh, for people to understand that better. But it was not... Uh, and my course is not about cultural analysis. It's about the Bible, right? So so uh, I've got to be kind of uh, sketchy about that. I think there are other courses in our curriculum that help students more directly. They're, they can take more time. And yet uh, the underlying problems are still the same. God is still the same God. The Bible is still the same Bible. <laughs> this message has not changed. And and the problem of the world, the basic problem, is sin. And uh, uh, these alternatives, whether it's Marxism or whether it's uh, critical theory or whether it's various forms of postmodernism, they, having lost connection with God, what they offer are counterfeit ways of salvation. They Because they know something is wrong. Uh, but their diagnosis of it is actually superficial. Uh, they see some things that are sins and they label as wrong, some things that are not wrong in addition. They're confused about that, I believe. And we really need the Bible. I mean, this it's, it's made me uh, more and more aware of the fact how much we need the Bible to ground ourselves and to find out, to, to, to understand what really is wrong and to separate between true and false claims about what is wrong, but also to see that uh, though we can agree here and there piecemeal uh, with with some uh, forms of uh, condemning of uh, racism or uh, of oppression, yet the the, the Bible's uh, attitude toward those things and the Bible's diagnosis is very different from the world. So one of the things about Westminster Seminary is we've trained people, try to train them thoroughly in the biblical languages and knowledge of the Bible and in uh, theology uh, uh, that is sound, that is summarizes the teaching of the Bible through the ages. And uh, those things have not changed. And they equip people just as well now, I'm convinced, as they did before. Now, of course, the way in which uh, the Bible is applied, you you want to know something as a pastor about what people are struggling with. But some of the things they're struggling with, again, are the same. They get sick, 
They lose loved ones in death. They fear death themselves. Uh, they wonder what the world is about. They feel meaningless. Uh, all those things um, are part of the problem that is an overflow from sin. So, so the message of the gospel is just as relevant now. The other thing about Westminster Seminary where I teach is that we are um, an international community, more so than most American seminaries. We get a lot of Asians. Uh, we get Chinese and Koreans especially, but scattered people from other Asian countries. We get Africans. We get East Europeans. We get West Europeans. We get Canadians. We get Mexican. We get a little bit of everything. And so in my teaching, I'm aware of the fact I can't just say this is how to deal with American culture. I've got to say to people, look, you, you're going to a lot of cultures, and even some of the Americans are planning on overseas ministry. You've got to have the, the skill to diagnose the idolatries of the culture that you're going into. But there's always going to be idols. That's what fallen human nature is about. Absolutely. Uh, I, I noticed that years back I was preaching in Poland and I, after I got done preaching, I was, I was talking about, you know, the, in the American pulpit, the temptation of success and popularity and notoriety. And after the sermon was over, I met this young Polish pastor and I said, do you have the, pro the same problems here uh, in Poland? And he laughed at me, he goes, the flesh is the flesh. You know, it's, there's no American flesh or Polish flesh or African flesh or there's no African idolatry. Or they, they, culturally, obviously, we have some different forms that idolatry takes. But, you know, at, at, the, at the core, we're sinners and we, we need a savior. And I love the fact that you're talking so passionately and um, confidently about the supremacy of Scripture uh, and, and the, 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 the sufficiency of Scripture that no matter what kind of culture we're in, I, I think in— Sometimes I get a little bit concerned in the modern pulpit that uh, we think our problems today are, are so different and unique that no longer is the scripture sufficient to address those needs. Obviously, you're saying something different there. You're saying, uh, and your writings speak to that, that the hermeneutics and homiletics, that you can, you can count on the word of God to be faithful no matter what's happening in the world around us. Yes, I think so. And uh, yeah, I think... Part of the lack of confidence is simply because people don't know God well enough. They know God well enough to understand how he answers every need of the human heart. And you understand more about yourself, too, your own sin, but also your own longings, your own deceit, self-deceitfulness. And, and it's common to all humanity. So you, I think the Bible is key to enabling pastors, but even ordinary Christians as well, to keep a focus on what's important. And the Bible tells us the things we need to know. And uh, it's, it, it's very important in a culture now in America where we get just a maelstrom of uh, ideas and pleas and, and propaganda and all kinds of things that can sweep people away. Uh, if they're not grounded in scripture. So, 
So I, I really think it's uh, the scripture is important as ever. You just mentioned, as you're speaking of scripture there, but you, you interjected a, a thought that I think is so crucial, that, that hunger, the desire, that passion to, to know God more, you know, that, you know, if you're a Christian, obviously, you know, God, you come connected to him through his grace. Uh, but there's this, you know, the Corinthians, first Corinthians talk two talks about that to know the deep things of God. How does, a, whether it be a pastor or a, a Christian that loves God, I know this is a very wide question, but what would you recommend to them to develop that capacity to drink in and take more of the hunger of the deep things of God rather than a superficial level, uh, God's out there and he's good and he takes care of me? Uh, how do we create a greater depth? Oh, as you were talking, it made me think of, of John 15, and Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? He who abides in me and I in him, it is the bears much fruit. That, that, isn't a, that isn't a secret. Jesus already told us. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but good. it's not so easy to do, right? We need the Lord to supply us with the focus and the strength to do it. But he goes on to talk about my, if, 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 uh, He's abiding in us, and we abide in His words. So the the Word of God is actually primary means through which we abide in Christ. Now, it, it, the central things have to be central because people can read the Bible, they can memorize the Bible, and still not know God. Right? They know about Him. So the, the it's not a mechanical thing where where the reading the Bible automatically makes you holy. But Jesus has given it, and God the Father with him has given the scripture uh, for uh, our transformation. As we we focus on what Christ as the kind of the heart of scripture, but then it's scripture that tells us the real Christ, you know. And that's part of the problem here with the modern church is that people create false Christs in their own image. They they make claims about him. They pick pictures of him that are distorted. So it, it, it continues to be important. Read the Bible. Amen. Uh, yeah. the, the tradition, the theological tradition where, where I am talks about, they have a phrase, means of grace. What does that mean? Well, it means reading the Bible, listening to the proclamation of the Bible, uh, praying, Christian fellowship, uh, the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, all those are ways that the Lord has provided by which we grow. And and so one of the things is to uh, just avail ourselves of, of what God says, this is this is the way <laughs> that that you're <clears throat> you use these things to grow. But again, it's not mechanical, right? You have to personally connect with God when you pray and not just mouth the words. And Jesus himself uh, it reminds us of that, right? The Gentiles multiply words, think they will be heard just because they they produce plenty of words. So, so we connect with the true God through Christ. We connect personally, and that's all important. But but how do we know God personally? It's through the Scripture, and as I say, also these other means, right? God talks to us in Scripture, and we talk back uh, in prayer, and we have Christian community. Now, that's another thing that American individualism sometimes that has fallen by the way 
Uh, we need to be connected with the community. We need to submit to being a member of a local church and, and being under the care of the leaders of that church, as well as being the care of Christ. Christ uh, in, in the scripture talks about, and in First Peter, for instance, under shepherds. Well, those are the elders and pastors in a local church and they're charged with caring for us. Now they can abuse, right? They can abuse their office and people get disillusioned sometimes with the church time name and never going back. Well, go to another church, right? <laughs> but make sure also that it isn't your fault, right? That, that uh, you're, you're angry with somebody in the uh, church you've been going to. But I think that's um, so important because people are looking for excuses to to avoid the means that God himself has given us. Yeah, that's so true. You know, yeah, when you're saying that, my mind goes to uh, Hebrews 12, where it talks about let no root of bitterness spring up within you. And, and in the context there, he's talking about not growing weary or faint hearted. But all of that, all of that starts with the introduction of looking unto Jesus or consider him you know, I think we could do a, a lot better in our sanctification, our spiritual growth, and our our compassion, or excuse me, our passion for Jesus. If if our if we, we fix our eyes on Him rather than our own problems and our own uh, situations and stuff, and, and I think that's why your books have made such an impact on people. Because no matter what you're writing on, you do seem to have a a very precious element to it that that it that is very Christ focused. It's Christocentric. Uh, is is that on purpose or is that just coming out of the outflow of your heart? Mm. Well, I hope it's both. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, yeah. but I owe I owe that to to my to God Himself, of course, but also uh, humanly speaking to Edmund P. Clowney, who had president of Westminster Seminary in the previous generation, was very emphatic in teaching about the Christ-centered character of Scripture. And that, uh, you know, over time, I I hope that sunk into me. So, so yes, uh, that's true. And if we may, if I may say a, a bit more about the Scripture, over the decades, I think I've come to appreciate that the scripture addresses us as whole people. It addresses the mind. We need to to avoid anti-intellectualism saying you turn off your mind in order to come close to God. Uh, you need to use all the resources. God created the mind. The Holy Spirit is is the one who created the mind. Don't don't polarize between the Holy Spirit and the mind. But but our minds can be corrupted, and they are corrupted by sin. So, so we need to be, be reformed. To be reformed by the renewal of your mind is, you know, that's transformed by the renewal of your mind, Romans 12, uh, 1 to 2. Uh, that's part of it, but it's, it's a response of the whole person. And the Bible is always deeper than what we capture. And that's one of the lessons I try to communicate to my, the class on biblical interpretation. You'll never master the Word of God. And you're a servant of the word and you're listening and listening and, and to absorb it into your heart as well as your mind, both the response of the whole person. And, and I think when people begin to grasp that, then they realize that, that the word of God is infinitely deep, uh, that, 
though you never exhaust it, but you do grow in it, right? And there is genuine uh, transformation of the mind that takes place as the Holy Spirit works through the word in people. So that, I think, can lead people beyond the sort of polarization between, oh, it's all about emotions and how I feel, and it's all about a barren intellectualism where I'm just trying to master a lot of facts. Mm -hmm. you're, you're speaking there, there really of combining the word and the spirit, you're, uh, a, a total confidence that, uh, and even an understanding of who the spirit is and how the spirit works in our life comes from the word. We don't create that through our emotions or our own mind. That comes through the word. But uh, combining those two things together, which, which tends to be, you know, I'm sure your experience is similar to mine. Um, you go to some, um, some circles of influence, and it's all, it's all spirit and emotion and sort of shouting hallelujah and, uh, you know, singing the last most contemporary songs. Then you go to the place and it's, uh, you know, quite scholarly and, uh, you know, the interpretation of the word through languages. Uh, but every, every once in a while you kind of land in a place where you, you find a man or a group of people that, you know, just have a deep love for the word and a respect and honor for it, but also an openness to the things of the spirit. Uh, do you find that uh, in your setting, uh, acceptable, or would you say you're your, you and your school lean one way or more than the other? Yes. Well, I hope we're both. Uh, they, 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 our seminary belongs in the reform tradition, so if anything, I think the tradition has tended to err on the side of just emphasizing the mind. And, and not the other aspects. But if you go back far enough to the Puritans, I mean, they, they've got a bad reputation to many people today, but the actual Puritans cared deeply about the heart and not just the mind. And they were pastors. They, they understood the struggles that people were going through and they addressed them in spiritual terms. So so I think that many of them had a balance that maybe we uh, we don't always have today. Uh, but uh, I I should hope that uh, you know at our at our seminary we are we are trying to communicate to to the students. It's a, it must be a both and. Yeah. Well, I've noticed. Uh, I haven't had the privilege of reading them yet, but I did notice that you've written on gifts of the spirit and even some articles. I don't know if it's a book or some articles on, uh, for, for instance, on speaking in tongues, which kind of surprised me. I, I would have not have thought, uh, you know, I come, I'm, I'm a reformed uh, pastor as well, but uh, come from a, a sort of Pentecostal charismatic background. Uh, I, I, I was intrigued by just a little bit of the article I read that, uh, you know, you, you didn't seem to sort of shut the door totally on uh, th things you know, and I know we're talking about the mind, uh, but but you know, we're just maybe a little bit of a sidebar here to to the things of the spirit. That's uh, am I correct in, in in understanding that rightly? Is that how you're communicating that? Uh, yes, I mean, in a few min the few minutes we have together, I, it's uh, difficult to explain fully. So yeah, I have to refer people to to articles that are at the Frame Fortress website. But you're right uh, that that uh, I've had contacts with the charismatic movement. I participated in Assembly of God, and when I was in Stellenbosch, South Africa, 
uh, they were lovely people. They they took me in. They loved me. I loved them. Uh, and uh, they even let me teach uh, uh, <laughs> through Ephesians because I saw, you know, they had plenty of the spirit, but they needed teaching and they were willing to, to do it with me. So so I have I have some I've seen the good and the bad, yeah, right? Yeah, I've I seen the to. good and the bad in some of the charismatic circles, and I've seen the good to bad uh, in reform circles, because there's a joke that goes around you. You're the frozen chosen, right? Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a terrible indictment, right? They were frozen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's so good that you're, you know, speaking that way, because I, I do believe, because some of my circles do tend to be in the charismatic Pentecostal movement, um, but I, I am deeply concerned, and I, I would love to see some of the stuff that you're teaching and others in the reform movement, you know, because the Bible, Bible makes it clear, Paul told Timothy, preach the word, you know, not your emotions or not your stories or your ideas. And, uh, you know, so I would love to see greater influence in, in those circles of uh, really understanding how to interpret the word, how to, how to honor the, the context of the scripture. That, those are things I think that could help us in our preaching. Um, so let me ask you this in light of that. If if you went to a, a pastor's conference and, uh, you know, afterwards four or five young pastors walked up to you and said, uh, Dr. Pothras, you know, in your 45 years of ministry, could you, in the few minutes we have here today, if you could give us one word of advice for the impact of our ministry in the future, uh, what would that one thing be? Uh, I'm sorry if I throwing something out there that's kind of crazy to ask, but uh, I'd love to hear your heart on that. You, you have such a rich history with God. Uh, how, what would you impart to a young pastor that you just had a few minutes with? Oh, boy, that, that's so difficult. <laughs> I, I know you realize it's difficult. I do. I, I, I was hesitant to ask it, but I, I'm just curious. I, I, maybe I'm actually asking for myself. Yes, well, the thing that came to my mind is the two great commandments. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor yourself. And and don't worry about success. Uh, you, uh, we've even got one of my colleagues, Kent Hughes, he's now retired, had to write a book on, on uh, overcoming the success syndrome because he went through the process as a young pastor of feeling a success as a church planter and seeing things growing and then everything fell apart and he... He was devastated and he had to ask a lot of questions of God. But through that, come to understand your heart has to be to serve the Lord, whether you see earthly success or not. And, and I think that's a good message for uh, a time like ours in the United States, where we see uh, so much of the influence of the Christian faith ebbing away. It's easy to be discouraged. Well, you got to serve God. You got to serve Him through thick and thin, <laughs> and and uh, you you worry about being faithful to the Lord, not being obnoxious, of course, but being faithful to the Lord and and uh, praying that He will bring uh, fruit of the appropriate kind. And if you don't see it, then that's not a failure. Uh, you're, you, the only thing that's a real failure is to, to fail to serve the Lord with all your heart. Yeah, that's so true. 
That's so true. Thank you for joining us once again on the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. What a joy it was to have with us, Dr. Vern Poth-Rice. It, um, it really touched my heart, and I pray that it did you as well. And he's going to be joining us again in our next episode, continuing to talk about these issues, the deep things of God, uh, a man who really understands the heart of God. I'm thrilled to have him on our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in the mission of World Challenge. Thank you for listening and supporting. World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Visit us online at worldchallenge.org.